Thank you for tuning in to Our Black Voices Matter. We can't remain silent. We must speak up. So let the conversation begin. Question one. What are your thoughts on the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd? How did you feel when you heard about them? In response to question one, um... When I first saw Ahmaud Arbery, um, it was just something of amazement in that I wanted to know the facts of what happened because it wasn't surprising that this seemed to be a modern day lynching. Um, but it just made me think that it was also in conjunction with the timing in that, you know, people were starting to show more animus towards black people in this country, especially through the the president president's rhetoric and how he um, was speaking about people and consistently casting, you know, blame on certain communities. Um, so that was really, and I just thought it was horrific in a sense that, you know, you had a man just jogging and people would feel like it's their right to interrupt his life. And I'm not even just talking about the entire murder of it. I'm talking about just feeling like they had the right to stop him, period. Which again, I think started to really make people get committed to change in this moment. Um, George Floyd's death just exacerbated the situation and made it even more um, prevalent for people to step up and um, make sure that it was known that th these are not the types of things that we're going to actually continue to allow to happen to us. Um, and they must stop. Um, watching that video of George Floyd being kneeled on for almost nine minutes, um was just incredible in the sense of how depraved that cop looked on his face and how um, he really showed no concern for that man's life whatsoever. And again, I think the visual evidence and the video itself is what truly people cannot ever forget because that those images are now ingrained in our minds. And to watch that person just be murdered right in front of you through such a callous act of putting all your body weight on a man's neck um, while he's on concrete, on the, on the ground. Um, you know, it just again shows how much we have to continue to fight for equality. And when it's not about the things that come to us as equals, it's about how we 
represent and perceive ourselves and also force others to respect and perceive us in ways that they never um, question our lives matter. Question two, are you for peaceful protesting or tear, burn, this place down protesting and why? Um, I'm a firm believer in peaceful protesting. Um, I am a big believer in the accomplishments that Dr. Martin Luther King achieved through nonviolent peaceful protests, as well as our um, Congressman John Lewis and all of the people that marched um, for civil rights in the 60s and throughout our entire history who fought um, for our liberation. Um, I believe that peaceful protesting is one part of how you make change and sometimes anger boils over um, coupled with the protests where some people can handle their anger and maintain a focus and dedication to being peaceful and um, taking whatever punishment is doled out by the establishment whether it be dogs or hoses or Night sticks or batons or even rubber bullets or whatever the establishment um, chooses to inflict upon peaceful protesters, which again, um, I think draws a lot more sympathy when they actually do that because then they lose their cool um, or just try to show a dominance that really doesn't even make sense in a country that was built off revolution and gives all its citizens the right to peaceful protest. Um, so that in itself is where, you know, we've seen a lot of change that, you know, just through the moral code of watching peaceful protesters be beaten and abused and hurt um, while only exercising the one of the main rights that were granted in this very unique country that we are still experimenting with today. Um, it's just interesting that certain levels of hatred and um, it's, it's unfortunate that some people have the desire to hurt people physically um, all because people have a differing point of view and would prefer a different way of life than what the abusers can force upon them. Um, so peaceful protesting will always kind of be, um, I think, a main key component in actual change in society, and particularly in America, in a country like this, because the, uh, the flip side of it is, yes, the tearing down, the burning, the looting, the, um, the anger that comes out, as well as the opportunism that comes out of these moments where people choose to make their presence felt through violence and through um, negative behaviors is the alternative to peaceful protesting. And to me, that gives more motivation for the establishment to actually negotiate and figure out a way forward, which is what I think this country has been good at over the years, is that we have consistently moved forward through every 
seminal moment in our history. And I think this is just another one of those moments where it's our generation's turn to truly decide how we want this country to move forward from this point on, knowing all we know. And it's going to be interesting to see if we can finally put this whole notion of the fallacy of racism um, not necessarily behind us, but definitely take it out of the context of ruling our decisions as a nation and ruling our behaviors as a people um, because, again, it's made up. So, you know, we can peacefully come to conclusions around how we want this country to move forward while ending racism. And I guarantee everybody else will be better off for it. Question three. What's your thoughts on generational trauma, i.e. post-traumatic slave syndrome, and the effects it has on our mental health well-being? Um, my thoughts on generational trauma are that it definitely is felt the most um, by African Americans and direct descendants of slaves, mainly because we are the most um, recent people to have experienced this type of slavery. And, you know, this type of slavery being the most brutal and most um, murderous and dangerous um type of chattel slavery that humankind has ever experienced um where you know we were forced into behaviors and forced into diets and forced into ways of speaking and forced into ways of communicating and forced into ways of even congregating and getting together um where we were not allowed to learn how to read or write um when we were first brought to this country where we were not even considered fully human um, in the Constitution, um, those types of things definitely do not just go away on their own, not without actual um, apologies and actions to correct them. And to this point, this nation has not done anything to correct those initial sins. Like, you know, yes, you know, the Voting Rights Act and a lot of the amendments that we've received um, to put us in positions to attain equal rights in this nation exist, but um, we still haven't had a chance to address um, and be treated for the brutalization, the rapes, the murders, the breakups of our families, um, that we'll never be able to piece back together again. Um, the destruction of any kind of opportunity and wealth that we may have accumulated during certain times through Jim Crow and segregation and lynching that, um, you know, led us to, you know, events like the Tulsa Black Wall Street destruction, which was only one of many um, moments in our history where you know, black people that had advanced were then destroyed and killed. Um, again, dis disrupting and destroying our mental health as well as our families um, and any kind of advancement that we had made. So, 
we deeply need to deal directly with our own mental health, but it needs to be within our own communities. We need to deal with each other and we need to make these assessments of ourselves and of our own um, post-traumatic slave syndrome ourselves. We can't expect others, and especially not white people, to um, evaluate us and tell us what they think our solution should be. Like We need to come together and figure out a way to get our best minds um, communicating around how we move forward as a people um, to then offer not only you know group solutions but individual solutions for people to deal with their post-traumatic slave syndrome, which again is a very unique experience um, that we are the only ones to have experienced. And we, in that sense, need to be the ones to also solve the problem while while forcing and making sure that you know those who put us in this situation and those who force these behaviors um, and traumas upon us, they have work to do too as far as apologizing and taking action to correct those egregious behaviors that they implemented and forced us to take on as their property first, but then even as free citizens in this nation to still treat us as if we're not um, and as if our lives do not seem to, you know, really matter. Um, so it has to be a, a nuanced, multi-layered approach to dealing with the mental health issues that come with post-traumatic slave syndrome, but I feel like we can get there. And I think that that is really the next great challenge for us as um, black Americans is to come to some kind of um, conclusion that we are going to work on ourselves, but we're going to do it amongst ourselves. And we're going to do it for the betterment of ourselves without even caring about what others that don't have this same shared past and same shared history. Like, they can have their opinions and their thoughts and points of views about it, but they don't get a say as to how we, the ones who are directly dealing with it, must deal with it. So we need to, you know, take ownership and empower ourselves to come up with the solutions that we feel like will make us um, better uh, mentally, physically, health-wise, um, in the mind and in the body and in the soul. And so those are the things that I'm striving to do as we speak. Question four. Do you think that the police should be defunded, cut law enforcement budgets? Um, short answer for that is yes. I believe that police budgets should be cut um, because there is no need for militaristic arsenals within police forces anywhere in what is supposed to be a free country because we have other levels of military special forces, SWAT teams, um, national security agencies, secret service, FBI, CIA, ATF. We have so many levels of specialized tactical forces, not including our military with four different forces, Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, um, that if needed be, could be, as well as National Guard and reserves. Like We got so many people with guns in this country. Um, that we don't need people working to protect and serve the public 
um, constantly feeling like they need to defeat an army, which is not the case because we have an army for that. Um, so, yes, I think that the the amounts of money poured into police um, activities throughout this nation are way too much and we definitely need to divert um, at least a third of those funds I believe and actually you know what no um, third could be too drastic at least a quarter of police budgets need to go towards um, other forms of dealing with particularly domestic disputes and um, non-life-threatening issues as well as other problems such as homelessness, um, mentally ill, disabled, um, people transitioning genders um, that may have special incidents that don't necessarily need a person with a gun coming to try to tell them how to handle something that they're going through for a first time and for the most part is unprecedented as you know, people transition in ways that they want to be defined. Um, we need more counselors. We need more health, mental health professionals. We need more um, psychologists and um, negotiators um, that can de-escalate situ situations and not always seek the violent response to particularly, you know, petty crimes and, and nonviolent crimes um, where, you know, people are treated as human beings and not necessarily as suspects or um, victims in the moment. And, you know, we need to really understand that a lot of what America's done through its abuse of its people, um, particularly black people, is that they've, you know, created a mental health issue that guns are not going to solve and only guns will only continue to exacerbate it because then people will feel like that's the only way that they can truly protect themselves and that is not really what you know we want is people to constantly be in fear of their lives particularly from the people who are paid through their tax dollars to protect and serve them so yes police need to be defunded um at least 25 percent to a third of their budgets need to go towards you know, de-escalating experts, negotiators, counselors, um, psychotherapists, physical therapists, um, you know, massage therapists, acupuncturists, um, people who can help de-escalate and unburden stresses from people that then would alleviate a lot of the issues and complications that we experience on a daily basis that police have to deal with that they really should not be dealing with. Um, so, and then also technology too helps, particularly like with speeding tickets and, um, you know, parking violations and things like that, that, you know, police officers should not be spending time handing out tickets for, you know, random quote unquote things that shouldn't even be labeled as crimes, um, or helping cities accumulate wealth through, you know, fraudulent um, systems in place to find people 
um, particularly low-income people and people of color, um, to support their governments. And those things need to be eradicated as well. So yes, the short answer, law enforcement budgets need to be cut. Question five, have you personally ever experienced any form of racism or police harassment? Um, yes, I have experienced racism, um, but I experience racism every day, mainly because I understand that this system is currently set up based off of racism and every decision that I make from whether or not I'm going to get in the car and drive or walk the street with a hoodie on or um, look at a white woman in a certain way or just even exist in this world um, forces me as a black man to consistently know that racism is affecting and impacting um, my life indirectly as well as directly on a daily basis. So, um, you know, individual incidences of people like, you know, calling me a nigger and, um, you know, blatantly showing the racism towards me in a threatening manner, I, I must admit I have never um, had to actually experience that. Uh, but I think mainly because, again, like I said, I think I've always kind of walked around with a awareness that um, allowed me to look people in the eyes and make sure that they understood that, you know, I just already had a way of, you know, understanding how I was not going to accept any of that behavior towards me. And I've been blessed to not have to really deal with it and I don't know if that's a way of me carrying myself in a certain way and people respecting that or um, being fearful to approach me in that manner um, or just you know not seeing me in that way because of how I carry myself and how I interact with people and how I'm um, capable of uh, knowing that I belong in whatever room that I enter or whatever space that I enter uh, because I know of my own humanity and I know who I am as a person um, and I know that there is not any person who is in any way, shape, or form better than anyone else. And I myself don't believe that I'm better than anyone else. I feel like equality is exactly what we all are as human beings. And the color of our skin really is not a determining factor since we all bleed the same. And, you know, if you only look at the surface or just look at the cover of a book, you'll never really learn the lessons that are being taught in it. So I've always kind of had that mentality around race and just knowing that it's a constant um, direct and indirect factor in all of our lives on a daily basis. And it has increasingly gotten you know, better to the point of people being more aware of it and more cognizant of it and more capable of understanding it so that now we can actually do something about it and we're inching closer and closer to eventually eradicating and getting rid of that whole entire notion because that's probably the most uncool thing to even 
be these days is a racist, um, which again can only really come from the establishment and the power structure that created the racism, which was white people in America. Um, well, clearly not just white Americans, but you know it goes back to colonialism and you know the fourteen or fifteen hundreds um, with Europe starting it, but then it carried over here to where Americans chose to maintain it and you know build it into their system of capitalism as well as their American quote unquote way of life that then you know determined and dictated the laws that they were making um to also enforce those racist notions. So again, like, you know, racism in itself was a creation that was made to perpetuate the myth of white superiority. And since we all know that really truly doesn't exist, um, then we need to move on beyond and end this whole notion of racism in the form that we know it as it is and figure out a way for us to move forward as a unified people. Um, police harassment, no, but I have been pulled over a lot um, while driving my car, yes. And uh, each and every time, again, like just, I think, being confident enough to know that I had nothing, done nothing wrong, um, you know, except for the one time I knew I was speeding and I got caught on the highway. Um, you know, again, the acknowledgement of that you know, it was just what it is. Like, I was not going to try to deny it. I knew, <laughs> you know, when I looked at my speedometer that I, the way they got me. Um, but I think also in dealing with interactions with police, I've just always, like I said, just been really confident in knowing that I didn't do anything to really warrant any, like, over-aggressive behavior or any um, illegal searches or any, you know, extra added, you know, police oversight, um, whether the cop was black or white. Um, because again, I knew I had basically done nothing wrong. And, you know, when I did do something wrong, which was, you know, speeding infraction, I felt like, again, like, I don't, I don't think that I was the only one <laughs> who had ever sped before. Um, so in those moments, I must say that, you know, I've, I've always been, able to interact with police in ways that didn't ever lead to escalation. And I've even been arrested um, mistakenly once. Um, but even in, in that interaction with police, you know, they were not overly aggressive or abusive to me um, or my friend that was arrested with me um, in any way. But again, I think that also speaks to how we spoke clearly and represented ourselves in um, a confident manner in that, again, like we knew we had done nothing wrong, so there was nothing to truly be afraid of. Um, and we were just blessed to not come across someone who harbored hatred and racism in their hearts for black people, you know, that had that uniform on. And, you know, we were one of the lucky ones. Um, but... You know, I think a lot of it can be rectified if we, you know, do the myriad of things that we're talking about doing, which, you know, goes to ending racism um, and that whole notion of the ideology of it. 
uh, along with just how we as black people get through our post-traumatic, you know, slave syndrome and learn to be competent in whatever spaces we're in to interact in a way that, you know, draws respect to us as individuals as well as groups. Um, while, while still pushing for legislation that definitely backs us up in the law and, and protects our, our rights as citizens and as human beings um, in this country, in this world. And speaking about injustice and inequality um, in general, um, you know, injustice, those are acts. You know what I mean? Like, people can think what they want to think, but until they actually start taking actions like we shouldn't be so concerned with policing people's thoughts because that's not really something that anybody living in a free nation should ever want to go down that rabbit hole and in some respects we are kind of going down that rabbit hole um with the politically correct culture and the cancel culture and you know just the way that people's opinions and thoughts are you know either you know, superseding, you know, another person's or even just different ways of thinking. Um, those things are, for as, you know, bad as they may seem and sound, they're nowhere near the actions that people take with those thoughts in mind. And that's really where we have to come to a reckoning of, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of thought should be the main things that we continue to fight for as Americans and as people who have um, contributed to this great nation and um, the experiment that's called America and democracy. Um, But we really need to start to refine our actions that, you know, some of these ideologies and particularly racism and um, the notion of keeping people unequal and keeping people oppressed and keeping people poor. Um, Those are things that we need to eradicate from our thought processes. So the actions that come with it, like the gerrymandering and the voter suppression and, you know, the lack of bank loans to, you know, um, communities of color and um, descendants of slaves and the lack of not even giving reparations to slave um, descendants of slaves and um, just leveling the playing field um, for everyone to feel like they're truly 100% equal in this nation, which again is what is guaranteed in our constitution at this point. Um, we need to start to look at injustice and inequality through a wider lens of now how do we make this nation and this lifestyle look and this culture look the way we want it to look and feel and behave and the actions that we appreciate in this new society that we're building and the actions that we eradicate from our um, behaviors and the way that we look at them is criminal. Um, It should really be a crime to take racist actions, you know, like, you know, not just hate crimes, but serious, like, gerrymandering, like, voter suppression, like, those things should be crimes as well. Um, So, I think that we're moving in the right direction, though, and I think that, especially the next generation, these younger people 
um, are really truly understanding that the world is what we can make it at this point. Like we all experience such privilege compared to past generations and past civilizations um, with our ability to communicate, our ability to um, capture our own stories visually and share them um, throughout the world and make sure that our voices are heard. And, you know, democracy and freedom is here for everybody as long as we all commit to it and we all decide that we're fine with looking each other in the eyes and not judging based off of the color of our skin, which none of us got to choose. Um, so I'm hopeful that and faithful that we are moving in the right direction as a people because everybody wants to get and enjoy their lives and racist behavior injustice, inequality, the communication levels today make it so that those are the things that are most heinous in this world and, and the worst types of behaviors in this world that we currently live in. So it makes sense to get rid of those things so that we can all enjoy our lives in a better way. Marquis Smalls uh, is a filmmaker, writer, producer, director, uh, consultant, coach, and former teacher. Uh, my social media handles are Facebook. You can find me at Marquis Smalls. Same thing at LinkedIn. Uh, also Marquis Smalls. Uh, on Instagram, you can find me at smalls.marquis. Um, and then on Twitter, you can find me at Mark, M-A-R-Q, Smalls, S-M-A-L-L-S, at Mark Smalls, M-A-R-Q, S-M-A-L-L-S. Um, feel free to reach out to me and stay in touch if you want to um, continue to grow and build and elevate this society in ways that have never um, truly been formalized before as we all come together to truly create and craft the world that we want to see and live in um, happily together. I wish you all the best and thank you for listening. Peace out.